When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. Now, I always have said it's been almost five years that this is the only syndicated radio show on aging. But I'm going to say something a little bit more than that. This is the only syndicated radio show on successful aging. Recently, I've been all over the U.S., and uh, next month I'll be in England, talking about aging and what it really means to this world. The G20, you may think of that group as looking only at economics. They have made aging and lifespan one of the focuses and priorities in their meeting in Osaka with regard to aging and curable diseases. Communicable and incommunicable diseases, they say, make up 16% of why we suffer as we age, and they're all preventable. And so this is a now a worldwide effort to increase lifespan and to make end of life happier and healthier. I think there is a book out there that says die healthy. And if there isn't, I'll write it. So for those of you who say to yourself, you know what, we are going to live longer. That's a good news. How about the bad news is we can't afford it. Well, that's why we're here today with Susan Weinstock, and she's the vice president of financial resilience programming. Don't you love that phrase, financial resilience programming? Um, A wonderful new age, I think, longevity phrase for the AARP, and they have the programs, the initiatives, the advocacy that you need so that you don't have both good news you're going to live longer and bad news you can't afford it, so that you can afford it. And you're going to be hearing about how different companies, because of the AARP, are stepping up to the plate and welcoming the older worker, how you can stay in your job, and how you can make it the best part of your work life. So thank you so much, Susan, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So let's just take a little bit of a deeper dive because I love your title. (laughs) That's an interesting title. It could have been almost anything. What do you mean actually by vice president of financial resilience? What does that mean to the the worker, financial resilience? Right. Financial resilience means lots of different things. It it includes working, but it includes retirement. It includes uh, what you, the amount of money you have in, how you're managing your money, um, how you're spending your money, how you spend it down after retirement, how you're saving for retirement. It covers all of those things because all of those things are very important to people who are 50 plus. So let me tell you what happened the other day, and you're going to really feel this, I think. The SECURE Act, I'm sure you know about it, May 23rd, it passed the House. And it simply, among many other things, says that... um, People who are older can continue to pay into their 401k, and they don't have to take the money out until they're either 72 or 75, depending on which bill actually passes. And I told this to my friend. I was very excited. I said, oh, look at this. This is a testament that we're working longer because we're so healthy and great. And she said, yeah, how am I going to get a job? That was was her answer, Susan. So it's a good question. Uh, if it's we're working question. longer, yeah, it's a great question. We're working longer. We have new legislation that says we, we are all healthier and able to work and save money for the 
fabulous decades ahead. Now Susan Weinstock shows up and says, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. There has to be companies that are willing to welcome you. So what is the AARP doing about that? Right. So we have a program called the Employer Pledge Program. And if you want to, uh, if, if uh, listeners want to uh, see the list of companies that have signed our pledge, uh, they can go to aarp.org slash employer pledge. We have over 1,200 companies now that have signed the pledge. And what the pledge says is that this company affirms the value of older workers, affirms the value of a multi-generational workforce, and will hire based on ability regardless of age. Now, let me just be very clear here that this is not a heavy lift. It's the law. The law requires this. But having public affirmation of that we think is really important. So um, having these companies step up and say that they are, they're going to publicly state that this is important to them we think is great. Um, we're rolling out a program actually uh, later this year where we're going to ask each of these companies to take two actions to demonstrate their commitment to our pledge. So add age to your diversity and inclusion um, policies. Right now, only 8% of CEOs report that age is included in their diversity and inclusion plans, which is kind of amazing. So we want to raise that number. We want to make sure that there's that older workers have offered training, are offered, um, you know, promotions, have the ability to, to get a job, all of those things that are important to re- maintain their financial resilience, and it comes back to that. So these employers have stepped up and said that they will do that. And there's, it's a wide variety of employers. Uh, it's uh, LinkedIn, PayPal, um, Macy's, McDonald's, uh, and it's also smaller employers have also stepped up, more local employers who, who are interested in it as well. You know, you are somebody who makes things happen and puts together a program like that. But I'm going to ask you something much more on an opinion basis. Over and over again, and I know you've felt the same or heard the same, you'll hear people of power in corporations in their 60s, themselves, maybe even early 70s, and they will honestly in their heart believe that people that they're about to hire are just too old. They themselves, who are older than the people that they're discriminating against, don't see age or do see age as a barrier. Where do you think that comes from? from an employer's point of view, that they actually have to step up and make a pledge. It's really frustrating. Um, We, you know, there's more jobs now than there are people to fill them in this country. And yet older workers tend to be the most overlooked. We have now programs to help the formerly incarcerated get jobs. Fantastic. (laughs) Okay. But why, why are we not also looking at this? great pool of talent, which is older workers. And one of the things that we're doing with our employers, with employers out there, is that we are trying to educate them about this vast cohort of people that they are overlooking. Um, And there's a lot of myths about them that we're trying to bust. You know, Um, first of all, one of the things that they're missing out on when they do that is older workers have much greater tenure. Um, They tend to stay in a job seven or eight years, whereas a millennial will tend to stay in a job only two years. Um, the um, older word, there's this you know, myth that they don't know technology, and that's not true. Yes. Think about the people who invented the Internet. <laughs> they were baby boomers, right? Very um, true. Th- th- there's, there's no reason to think that that's not the case. 
Um, we've seen wonderful mentorship programs between older and younger workers. And there's also really good data, mostly coming out of Germany, unfortunately. I wish we had data here in the U.S., looking at the value of multi-generational teams. Um, they literally, uh, at a plant in, um, in Germany, they specifically made a multi-generational team. And what they found was the um, error rate went to zero, productivity improved, absenteeism went down. So, um, you know, those are all wonderful aspects. And so making those, being very intentional about making those multi-generational teams is a really important thing that employers can do to up the productivity and lower the uh, uh, absenteeism rate um, of their of their workforce. You know, sometimes when I'm a consultant to different companies that, that do want to cherish their boomer generation and even older worker we create reverse mentoring programs and mentoring programs where the older worker does mentor the younger person and reverse mentoring where the younger person mentors the older person. And what you find after a very short period of time, the committee meetings are better, the productivity is better, the atmosphere uh, and the tension goes out of the room. Um, it's almost like two cultures. I have to admit, it, age um, has to do with your experience we would say in the business, the cohort and what they went through historically does sometimes make two generations different culturally, but it's like any other two cultures. Once you learn each other's language and where you're coming from, everybody's a human being, the age disappears. So it's a terrific thing that, that the AARP is doing with regard to that. We're going to talk a lot more about the money, honey, when we come back. We're speaking here with Susan Weinstock, and she's the Vice President of Financial Resilience Programming for the AARP. We're focusing today, as she said, so many aspects of financial resilience, but one of them is your salary, your work, and we talked about here the ability to get a job. We'll talk when we come back with what might happen if you are discriminated against with regard to age, and what about salaries? We do know that still today, Women live around, it used to be eight years longer than men statistically. Now it's a little bit less than that. And they generally have made less money through the years. Even the sea level has very frequently made less money than the men. So we're going to be talking about salaries and age discrimination, which is not only an age issue, but also you a woman's issue. Don't go anywhere. Bit, we'll be right back. That doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy. I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit. Cause I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da da da. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the fountain of truth. A little bit of housekeeping here. Uh, I've been doing a lot of speaking, and if you would like to see some of the programs that I'm presenting, go to eSpeakers.com. I'll look up my name, Adrian Berg, eSpeakers.com. We just posted two really fabulous programs. One is on positive deviance, finding the person in your facility, in your organization, even your residence if you have a senior housing facility who's doing something right, 
Stop focusing on what people are doing wrong. Look and see what they're doing right and model it. Find the positive deviant. And we have a protocol for you on that. Take a look at eSpeakers.com and a training program. And for those of you who are in the financial industry, and that's what we're talking about today, you can take a look at the program Building the Longevity Practice. If you don't have a five-generation practice, you are missing the boat. And we will show you how to do that with some fantastic trainings, webinars, and keynotes. So all you have to do is go to eSpeakers.com and take a look at that. Now, speaking of money, we are here with somebody who knows quite a bit about that. She is Susan Weinstock. She is Vice President of Financial Resilience Programming over at the AARP. And she's responsible for the overall strategic direction of these AARP programs and education to improve financial security for people over the age of 50. And boy, do we need it. Now, what we were talking about, Susan, as you, as, um, you uh, helped us so much in the first part of our show was if we want to get a job. And the AARP has put together a program uh, where corporations, major corporations, step up to the plate to welcome and be designated as welcoming the older worker. I'm going to ask you two questions. One, once again, just tell everybody where to find and read about the program. But the second question is, what if they already have a job? What protects them and what is the AARP doing about that when it comes to ageism? Sure. So let me start with um, a couple of websites. So the Employer Pledge Program uh, is at aarp.org slash employer pledge. We also have a job board um, where employer these employers and others post jobs on the job board. These are folks who are interested in hiring older workers. Uh, and if you go to aarp.org slash jobs, you can uh, see the job board and other resources we have for older workers. I also want to mention one other program that we have, which is uh, at learn.aarp.org. In 36 communities around the country, we actually offer in-person classes for people looking for work. One is called Sharpen Your Networking and Interviewing Skills, and the other is called Job Search in the Digital Age. So if you don't have a LinkedIn profile, you'd like help in learning how to build that, how to look for a job online, these two classes um, will help you. And they are in person. They're at, like, local libraries or at hotels. They are free. Um, and all you have to do is sign up and, and attend. We also have what we call micro-learnings, like tough interview questions and things that you can practice that are on this website. So it's learn.aarp.org. Um, now, to your question on age discrimination, we are working on a bill called the Protect Older Workers Against Discrimination Act. Its uh, acronym is POWADA. Um, so the POWADA, okay. the POWADA bill has been heard in um, committee and passed out of committee uh, and uh, is now awaiting passage on the House floor. We are hoping that it will happen soon. We welcome uh, folks to contact their congressmen to tell them that they want to have this bill passed. Um, as I said, it's called the Protect Older Workers Against Discrimination Act. Uh, unfortunately, the Supreme Court in 2009 in what, in what is known as the Gross G-R-O-S-S decision, uh, that was the name of, the, of, of one of the, of the plaintiffs, um, uh, the, the, the case uh, the, the Supreme Court decided that there's a higher standard for proving age discrimination than there are other kinds of discrimination. Uh, and we think that's wrong, and we want to correct that decision, and the only way to correct that is to get a bill through Congress. So, as I said, there's, they've had a hearing. They've passed the bill out of committee. We're uh, hoping that they're going to take it up um, 
sometime later this year on the House floor, and they'll pass it. And then we've got to get it through the Senate, and we've got to get the president to sign it so that that, that age discrimination is equally as, um, as, as enforceable as other kinds of discrimination. You know, I'm really appalled by that uh, decision. First of all, uh, don't hold this against me, but I'm a lawyer. And I've been a lawyer for a very long time. It's very difficult to swallow the business of um, discrimination, even in the laws that are anti-discriminatory. But that is how deep-rooted, it's hard to believe for anybody listening, that is how deep-rooted our ageism is. And the reason we give ourselves a pass and we say things that we would never say if it came to racial discrimination, religious discrimination, even gender discrimination, when it comes to age discrimination, because we're all aging. And we think that because we're in the group of those who are being discriminated against, it's okay. We have a different moral standard, and it really is strange. It truly is. But good luck on that one because it is so important. And by the way, for those of you who want to make money in business, it's stupid. There is nothing more counterproductive that not having an experienced person on the job could possibly be. It's an amazing type of prejudice and is not economical. Okay, so now let's say uh, that we uh, are on the job. A job isn't being threatened. We got our job. And we are female. And one of the things we're looking at is, A, retiring and what our pension might be. B, the fact that our Social Security is lower than our husband's. And C, that no good marriage has a happy ending. We may lose his pension and we may lose his Social Security because women do outlive men. What's the AARP stand on, on perhaps educating women to demand higher advocating for equal wages because it's it's an age issue. We do live it is, longer. It is an age issue. One of the things that we've been looking at it in state legislatures and we we got this passed uh, in a few states of, uh, in Connecticut is is one that just comes to mind is uh, a a law that says that an employer cannot ask your previous salary when you when they are um when you're applying for a job because that is not that's a women's issue and it's also a an an age an, an older person's issue because um they can then decide that you are too expensive quote unquote and they don't want to hire you and they um the thing is is that you know a job has a market value and a good hr person should know the market value of that job and you should not be paid based on what you made before it's based on the market value of the job so it's 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 illegal in now a few states and in a few um cities have passed laws saying that an employer is not allowed to ask that question anymore well that's wonderful because that means that women will not have to uh play catch up all right, and it, it just and it perpetuates, right? It just you, it you know you, you get paid sure. lower when you start, and it just keeps going and going with it. Going. But why, by getting rid of that question, we can we can eradicate this. And do remember, for the few pensions that are still left, there's uh, not many, by the way, in many companies. The uh, last five years of your work and the amount of salary you made in the last five years of your work counts a lot more to your eventual lifelong pension than the, f- f- uh, the first years of your you life. So of your work life. So this is going to be really good. We'll be back. We'll be covering the waterfront when it comes to your work and anti-age. 
And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. Now, uh, one of the fun things that I get to do is watch the intergenerational workforce. And I have to, I said to Susan Weinstock, who's with us, she's Vice President of Financial Resilience Programming uh, at the ARP. I'll tell a little funny story. There are differences in the intergenerational workforce. So in one committee, people were, uh, were learning to work together. They had a program. And all the baby boomers were doing exactly what the AARP did. They take the first letter of their of their initiative and they make a word out of it. Even the Secure Act, S E C U R E, is S W E W, so on. It is a, a, it is stands for something because that's what baby boomers do. They like it. They're wordsmiths. But the Gen Xers. And the Gen Ys, they were in the committee, too. And they said, well, let's call the program George. Now, George had absolutely, it was just a name. They had no interest in making it stand for anything. They just wanted a really, really good trending name that made sense to them in a more an inspirational way as opposed to an intellectual way. And it was really fascinating watching different Styles that come from the different generations. But that doesn't mean one is better than the other or there should be discrimination. In fact, it was fun for everybody. Now, work is not always so much fun for everybody. Uh, one of the things that we've talked about is getting a job, discrimination on the job, the many AARP programs that educate people. But there's a lot more to it than that. So jump in. I had asked during our, uh, our little time uh, together off the air, what Susan really wants to bring out, what was something that, that she thought was important that people may not know the AARP is, is involved in? So let us know, Susan. Well, let's talk a little bit about caregivers in the workforce because this is a really important issue, and we are very um, supportive of trying to help caregivers in the workforce. We have a, a, a booklet out that we are using for employers to, to teach employers to get them to understand here here are the things that you can be doing to support the caregivers in your workforce. And your caregivers are not just elderly. A quarter of caregivers are millennials. So this this is something that spans the ages. It's something that's very important to people. And there's lots of things that employers can do to offer support to the caregivers in their workforce. You know, it, this is something that I, I know a lot about and have experience with. First of all, half of all 60-year-olds have a living parent. Second of all, I, I mentioned that I was a lawyer. I was a trust and estates lawyer. I many times had people in their 70s bringing in their 95-year-olds uh, to do estate planning. And when the 70-year-old would come in, I was a much younger, uh, was pretty young then, I thought it, they were coming in for themselves. They were coming in for their older parents, with their older parents. So... You don't have to be uh, a, a certain age. You can be the average age of a caregiver is 47 and working and female. However, you have a lot of people in their 60s and 70s still approaching their own retirement and their own aging and taking care of older parents. So that's very, very wonderful. I will tell you that things have changed. We used to do lunch and learns at different corporations about caregiving, and nobody showed up. 
They were so scared that the employer would think that they were not focusing on the job that they wouldn't admit that they were caregivers. So are you finding a lot of good reception, you know, as times have changed now? With these we programs? actually are. That's interesting that you say mm-hmm. that because we actually offer uh, webinars, lunch and learns from our experts to – so the companies that have signed the pledge, our experts can do webinars and lunch and learns for the employees at companies about uh, helping caregivers in the workforce and about building multi-generational teams. And we find that uh, we get really good uh, participation from employers on this sort of thing. That's just wonderful to hear. Uh, Now let's talk about these intergenerational teams. Uh, First of all, you know, usually if you're going to do a cartoon, the villain in the piece of this would be the HR officer. They're always the villain in the piece, these poor guys. But they do struggle with the intergenerational workforce, as I talked about cultural differences. Uh, we talk so much, in ter- particularly on this show, we're talking to a certain demographic. And every once in a while, I really fear that I don't have my finger on the pulse of the younger generation. And without that, what I'm talking about or suggesting really doesn't make sense on, in many different topics. What are you hearing from the younger generation? Are they resentful? Do they want to learn? Uh, Is this just, you know, a straw man where all these intergenerational tensions are um, what anticipated but not real? Or do we have to break through barriers? I mean, I think what you said before is is what the is is really what this is all about is building these multi generational teams. People get to know each other as people, and once you build those teams and people get to know each other as people, then those barriers break down, and people work well together, and they and they get along, and they value each other for both their similarities and their differences, and they learn from each other, and it makes the workforce a more interesting place. It makes it you know, a more fun place to work. Uh, it, it, it grows people's interests and things like that. So there's a host of reasons why you want that diversity in your workforce that, that includes age. Now, one of the things, though, is, you know, this is, the name of this show is The Fountain of Truth. Are we more expensive? I mean, that's a really important question. We still talked about employers having to make a profit. And if the health care issue for older adults is in their face, they may say they have a reason to discriminate. And you did mention the law case, which is appalling to me, that has a different standard or a higher standard of age discrimination. But I could, again, say, perhaps make an argument as an attorney, that there's a rationale for that. The older worker is more expensive. Do you ever get that pushback? And is it true? I do hear the pushback. I'm not sure it's true. We did a sur- we did a research on this um, a few years back, and actually we want to update it this year about the value the expense of older workers. And what we found is that um, they're really not necessarily more expensive. I mean, every every people need to be looked at as individuals, right? So um, going in, you don't you don't just assume like maybe this person's already 65 and is on Medicare. Well, then their health care costs will probably be a lot less because the, the employer is not going to be the primary uh, insurance for the for the person. So, I mean, there's a whole host of things. Maybe, I mean, as you said, there's few people who have a pension these days, but there are people who have pensions. Maybe they retired from a, a job where they had a pension. They've decided the, they want to go back to work. We hear all the time about people who unretire, that they retired and they decide, well, you know what, I'm really bored. Or, 
not whatever, right, or they need the money, and then they want to go back to work, but they already have this pension, so they actually may not need to make as much money. So, you know, it's it's a stereotype, and so, again, those can really be um, a, a detrimental to people, and so a, a human resources person or a hiring manager needs to look at that person for the value that they bring to the company or to the workforce and what they offer, and then make give them an offer of the market value of the job. And, you know, one of the things that we're seeing, and this is a terrific thing, but it's born of the fact that there is age discrimination. We're seeing more people over the age of 54, and most of them women, starting their own companies, small businesses, instead of looking for a job. And they give up. They feel that uh, they do some have some entrepreneurial spirit. They're uh, sending resumes out over and over again. Uh, I just recently wrote an article for my blog, which is called Aging for Beginners, but most of the people reading it are not such beginners, on how to write a resume. And I think the biggest thing I had to tackle as a journalist was my research on whether or not you go back to the beginning of your work history because the, and let people know your age right off the bat. And most HR officers said to me, don't do it. Uh, give them the last 10 years of your work life and your education without a date. Now, that never lie, but at first blush, you won't get thrown out of the pile. And so this is still, this is still an extremely serious issue. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the future of work and uh, some, in some cases technology, robotics, other things, how we might see uh, workforce change. One of the things, of course, we know is mobility, working from home. Uh, Susan Weinstock, the Vice President of Financial Resilience Programming of the AARP, just blithely mentioned the fact that, um, you know, people, that the whole workforce atmosphere is changing. And a lot of times the higher, the hiring uh, units don't feel that the older adult knows the technology they need. And if we're going to work remotely more and more, and less brick-and-mortar offices are being opened, technology becomes very important, not just in the job, not just if it's a job related to technology, but the technology itself to getting any job done. Are we worthy? And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. Now, for those of you who like reading my blog, uh, that is Aging for Beginners. I have a wonderful publisher, Bottom Line Personal, very professional blog with an editor. Shoot me. But she's wonderful. Go ahead and take a look at Aging for Beginners, Bottom Line Personal. Uh, and my latest article, it's coming out right, right this week, I believe, is... I know you're going to laugh, but it's how to, how to hula hoop. Now, why would I talk about such a thing? Because I couldn't do it when I was a kid. And I was asked to learn it by my personal trainer, and I was able to do it. And I did learn how you can make a cognitive change. 
as well as a physical change, even after the age of 70, if you really have a motivation. And I did. And don't tell me it was wellness or health. It was just getting into a skirt that I really, really liked and couldn't get into anymore. So we're gonna, it really the hula hoop is a metaphor for being motivated and getting things done. So right now, we're going to take a look at something that I, I just found. The, the whole topic is fascinating. The future of work. And we'll be looking at that with Susan Weinstock. She's the Vice President of Financial Resilience Programming with the AERP. So the future of work, how does, uh, explain what you mean by that in the context of aging or ageism or the older worker. Well, we know that there's lots of things that are changing in, in, you know, in, in the work world. Um, automation uh, is a big factor. Artificial intelligence. Um, uh, longevity is another important issue. Um, all of these things are put together are going to change the way we work. The, the sort of the compact between an employer and employee, the number of people who are now considered freelance employees rather than uh, actual employees of a company with benefits. Um, all of those things are having an impact on uh, the way we work. Um, for example, uh, artificial intelligence, um, you know, could be used to weed out uh, older candidates from jobs. Um, that's something obviously we're fighting against and we're trying to make sure that that doesn't happen, but it's something that we're looking at and we're concerned about. Um, automation, you mentioned earlier uh, women and in working. Uh, a lot of those jobs that are um, going to be automated uh, may be held by women. And so uh-huh. what happens when that, when that comes to, to bear? And how are we going to continue to work in the age of automation? So we're looking at all of these things from a research angle, and we are specifically uh, looking at it as the what is the impact of all of these changes on the 50-plus. And that's what's important for us, obviously. Yeah, and of course, here we come to the area. There's two areas of technology. One is the robots that can actually do the job for you. The other is the AI that can surreptitiously weed people out. But then there's the other, and that is familiarity with technology that is now incorporated in the job. It's not unusual. There used to be a marketer. What did a marketer do? They wrote an ad. They chose the right place to put the ad. Forget about it. Today, all marketing is online, and you really better understand how social media marketing works. Uh, and you, did, you were not uh, brought up with it, even though it is true that we built the computers and so on. Um, there's been light year changes. So what about this prejudice that once you're older and let's say 50 plus, you really are not that tech savvy. It is not your first language. Uh, is it true? Well, I mean, and there's things so that people overcome? can do. Um, it's not necessarily true, but there's also things that people can do to continue to keep their skills up, and we highly recommend that people do that. Uh, a lot of community colleges around the country have classes in this, and in fact, um, in a lot of community colleges, if you're over a certain age, like 55 or 60, you can take classes for free. So you can learn about um, these different uh, technologies and, and, and be able to, to use, use them easily. So that's a really important thing is we want – you can't stagnate in your job anymore. Technology is changing too fast. Uh, a person needs to be proactive about making sure that they have the training um, to keep them relevant in the job. Now, proactive. I just wanted to do a little tough love here. I'm a little tougher than you, Susan Weinstock, when it comes to people uh, who are older. Get off it. You can learn it. Uh, it makes no sense for you to you know, uh, giggle 
and say, oh, the computer and I are two. I, I really can't do that and hand it over to somebody else. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. And you're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting everybody in our age group. So just stop it. Now, no, now on another issue, I did mention the fact that we have a lot of entrepreneurial spirits here, uh, people who do retire, sometimes quite early, 45, 50 and they always really wanted to start their own businesses. And even in their 60s and 70s, I call them late-life entrepreneurs. AARP has a lot of help for them as well. Can you tell us some about that? That's right. We, um, we have a, a website, uh, a webpage on our website, aarp.org slash startabusiness. Uh, and we have also, it sounds like, like you, Adrian, we've seen people who, um, because of perceived age discrimination, they can't get a job or they lose their job, and they say, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to try it. And despite the urban myth that's only the 20-somethings that are, you know, starting uh, new businesses and succeeding, actually the the data show that it's the 50-plus uh, who are starting new businesses and succeeding. And the data say that the reason why that they are doing so well is they have a big network because they've lived a long time. And then number two is that they have assets that they can use to, to build their business and that those two things are really important. Another point I just wanted to, ra- to raise about older workers, and we hear a lot of this from employers about they're looking for soft skills because technology can take care of the, the robotic stuff, you know, but we need the soft skills. And guess what? That's something that you get from being in the workforce for a long time, that you yep. are empathetic, that you listen, that you problem solve. All of those qualities are, are qualities that older workers have in spades. So this is something, again, for I want the older workers to realize that they have these qualities, and we want to educate employers that older workers have these qualities that they say that they're looking for. Well, you know, that is wonderful, very, very well said on a practical level with the entrepreneurship I want to bring out that the new secure law allows small businesses to, who are unrelated, unrelated small businesses, to open up a single 401k for themselves and their employees. Now, that cuts the cost by thousands. So if you are one of those entrepreneurs that the Susan Weinstock is talking about and you're starting a late, later or late life small business and you feel that you want to put money away, you will be able to make enough to put money away and actually save for your future. This new secure law, call your congressman, call your senator, tell them to pass it. Well, we are unaccountably out of time here. Uh, I thank you so much. You got so much across. Remember, this show is archived. And all of you listeners, get out there, kids. Make it happen.